Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to everybody. Um, I'm Jonas Batten. I'm one of the elders here. And Pastor Jeff, it's vacation time. Pastor Jeff is on vacation this week. So we have um, a special guest, uh, Paul Davis. He is, um, I guess the best way, he's the associate pastor at Westwood, but he's connected to our church because he was Jeff's boss for a number of years. But he's, uh, I guess I would say, from my understanding, he's Jeff's mentor. Uh, He's a a special friend for Jeff in addition to being a sounding board for him. And uh, so we just want to welcome Paul this morning and uh, look forward to what God's going to say through him. So, Paul, as you're coming, I'll pray uh, for you and for Jeff. Father God, we thank you this morning on a beautiful day that we are allowed to come into your presence, that uh, we can worship and honor you. I do pray uh, that as Jeff is on vacation, I pray for you to restore him and to uh, give him a a restful week, and I pray for encouragement for him. Uh, And then I pray for Paul this morning as he comes and as he uh, shares what you've laid on his heart, I pray that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be prepared, and that you would speak to us this morning. We're excited to hear what you have for us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Meadowview. I turned the button on? Yeah, good. Passed the first test. Um, If you would, turn to uh, Joshua chapter 9. We'll be looking at the first 15 verses. Don't go, oh, Lord, (laughs) lunch is going to be late. We'll move through them fairly quickly. But as it is um, tradition at our church, when we have different holidays or different events that come up, we, um, we, we are preaching through the Bible expositionally, much like you guys are too. And so it's interesting how God kind of lands us in different places as we go through the different books of the Bible um, on particular um, days that are, uh, quote, holidays or special events. And so, uh, you know, I've been in, in church all my life. Um, and so I've heard a lot of Father's Day messages, you know, and a lot of Mother's Day messages. And some of the Father's Day messages, you know, kind of beat up on the fathers. And instead of saying, be nice to dad that day, it told them how bad they were doing and they need to straighten up and fly right, you know. Or then some just made it so flowery that, you know, the guys go, I can never live up to that, you know. And so so this, is, this will have some Father's Day implications on it. But it, more than that, it's for the body of Christ. Uh, because that's what God's Word is for. It's, uh, it's applicable to us all today. And so what we're going to do is walk through this segment of Scripture here in Joshua and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate His Word to us so that it connects with us and, and that we say, that is what I can walk away with today. This is what I can apply to my life this week. Because we know as we go outside these doors today that the world is a different place than where we live here, right, inside the church. This is a different place than the world. The world wants to take us out. The world does not want to have anything to do with um, this word that we proclaim or this God that we worship or this Jesus that we follow. Now, they might say that at an awards banquet. I don't know if that's a banquet. That sounds old, doesn't it? But like the, uh, the MTV Music Awards, you might hear them reference God a few times um, or the man upstairs or my homeboy or whatever, but the world doesn't know Jesus, like you and I who are redeemed, know Jesus. We have a relationship with him. We understand that without him, we would have no hope. No matter what we have accomplished in our life, no matter what pedigree that we are born with, we are hopeless minus Christ. And so that's how we can gather today as a church, not out of, out of duty, but out of desire to gather together to hear the word of God sung and proclaimed and then walk out of here trusting that it will do what it needs to do in our hearts and our lives to transform us into the image that God desires and to be the people of God that God has designed us to be. Imperfect people, saved by perfection through Christ Jesus, living in a world that's looking for us to crack, fall, and, 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 and just blow up, whether it's our marriages or relationships or jobs or whatever, but yet we know that we should, as we stumble along the way, be quick to repent. And understand that we have forgiveness through Christ Jesus. And then be quick to come back to the plumb line of God's word. So we'll talk about that. I'm getting ahead of myself today. But on a Father's Day, um, I was able to bring my, my dad, uh, who's 90 years old here a couple of weeks ago, who, who um, really charted the course for me to, to even consider God's word. 
And I know that that's not the case a lot, of, a lot of times across the board, that some of you may have difficult relationships with your father. I did a funeral for my father-in-law this week. Um, needless to say, um, God's timing is perfect, but it doesn't feel that way when you, when you have a funeral for a father-in-law and then have to pastor your wife through this week and today on Father's Day. So it's fresh. And we have the hope and we know where he is, but yet it's a separation. So maybe, maybe you have a difficult, um, difficult relationship with your father today. Be Christ. Pick up the phone or go see him today. Love on them in spite of what they've done to hurt you, in spite of what they've said to you that might have torn you down through the years. Point them to Christ. Be Christ to them today. Easy for me to stand here and say that because I have a father who's loved me. I've never doubt, doubted. He's always encouraged me. But I understand the world that we live in, broken and incomplete as it is, that it might be an opportunity for you to be Christ to your father today. And so I would encourage you to, um, to call. And if you, if, you don't, you know, if you don't know where your father is, just here's what you can press into today, is that we have a heavenly father who is our peace, who is our comfort, who is for us who has charted the course for us before the foundations of the earth. And we'll see today, even in this sermon, that he is for us. And he's going to make things happen for his glory and for our joy. And we can press in on that when we're lonely and feel separated uh, from our Father or any other relationship today. So praise the Lord for the Heavenly Father that we celebrate today. But also praise the Lord for the earthly fathers that he has afforded us um, to, be, uh, to, have, to live life with. That was my Father's Day sermon. Okay. <laughs> um, in Joshua chapter 9. Well, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I love, I used to not love the Old Testament as much as I love the Old Testament now. You know, because we live in the New Testament because we, you know, it, we feel like it's all about me. And all, but here's the reality of God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, the meta narrative is redemption. From Genesis to Revelation. And it is not all about you or not all about me. It is all about God. It just so happens that there are things in there that apply to us that God has come to rescue us. A lost and rebellious people left to ourselves would just want more of ourselves. We, have, we, we think that we have this really kind of good moral ticker in us that would go, yeah, sooner or later I'm going to choose some Jesus because that's the right thing to do. Listen, God's word says that we were separated from him and that the wrath of God was pointed towards us because of that, because of our, our first mother and father from, from Genesis, the DNA of all humanity was messed up, right? But God being rich in mercy. Go read Ephesians chapter 2 today. Who, who, who knew us and be separated from him, who brought us from death to life through Christ Jesus. Praise be to, him, to God that he has done that for us. Never take for granted your salvation. Never think that, you, that God saved you because you were that awesome, because you weren't. You are only awesome because you serve an awesome God. And really, if you're honest with yourself, you'll go, ah, I don't know, a scale of one to 10, probably about a five, right? You know, on a good day. Um, some days you feel like, man, I'm hitting threes and it's all net, you know, so I might be a seven. But God being rich in mercy and patient with us is an example as a heavenly father to us as earthly fathers as well too. So Joshua handed off the baton from, from Moses. You notice how God just uses some kind of wonky people to accomplish his will. You know, Moses kind of had a temper, murderer, you know, a little few things on his resume, but God chose him to stand before Pharaoh to lead his people out of, out of bondage. So never think as a guy sitting here or a person in general sitting here going, I just can't be used. I got too much of a past. Yeah, you probably do. But that's where God's grace and God's mercy comes in. And if he calls you and equips you to do something, you can do it because he can do it through you. And so in this case, Joshua, leading these rebellious people, you remember what happened in the wilderness. There's a generation that died because they didn't believe God's word, right? Ah, we're not going there. The, the, the people are too big. <laughs> we're not going to attack them. We're not, we, we just, and so they died. And so this is the new generation that Joshua um, is leading into the promised land to take what God has promised them and given them. So let's start with verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, I just want to throw in parasites, right, just so we can continue on, right, heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But then the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. 
They, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys, wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended, worn-out patched sandals on their feet, worn-out clothes, and all the provisions that were dry and crumbly. And then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua then, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? And they said to him, From a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of your Lord, your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shion and Hezbon, and to the Og, the king of Bashan, and, he li- and, and who lived in Asheroth. So our elders and our inhabitants of our country said to us, take up provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make this covenant with us. Here is our bread. It is, um, here is our bread. It, is, it was warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day that we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have, they have burst. These garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Father, this morning as we read your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you lead us to truth? Would you guide us this morning? Would you illuminate this word so that we can indeed uh, glean the things that you would desire for us to have um, this morning from this as we sit at your table and feed upon your word? We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this Acts, these actions this morning lead to longer-term ramifications that we'll get to a little bit later. But really, when we think about what God had called his people to do is what he's called us to do. He's called us to walk in faith. He's called us to walk in faith and be in a spirit of prayerful dependence upon the Lord and his guidance for our lives. He didn't save us and go, good luck, figure it out, right? Try to interpret this on your own. He left us with the Holy Spirit who leads us to truth, who teaches us. He surrounded us with godly leaders who can speak into our lives, who can lead your churches, and and who can sow into us the Word of God rightly divided and rightly proclaimed. You see, as men and women, uh, we do not have the wisdom or the ability, nor really often the, the will to direct our own way. You see, because the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, (laughs) a right to us, but in the end, it is the way of death. You ever tried to figure out things when you buy something to put it together? You ever bought a grill to put together or some type of thing? And you go, I got this, because men are notorious for a couple of things, right? Don't look in the instructions, unless you're an engineer. Now, you're the guy that wants to read those, right? Or don't ask for directions. You know, that's what, yeah, we'll find it. Now you got GPS to pull you out of that, right? But back in the day, I remember my mom saying, hey, shouldn't we stop and ask for directions? My dad, yeah, all, leads, all roads lead to where we're going, right? And so that's just the, kind of the, the, the man thing in us, you know? But we, we don't do well on our own. We're not designed to be on our own. See, our need is always to commit our way and our objectives and our pursuits in life and our responsibilities to the Lord for not only his will and his wisdom, but his enablement to accomplish what it is that he set before us. Again, he doesn't set us out there and go, good luck, but he empowers us to accomplish what he would desire for us to do. You see, the danger is is that we presume on God's grace and strike out in our own wisdom without really seeking and searching his heart and blessing while ever realizing our total inadequacy and need of his grace because we get impatient. You see, we want to know the whole story now. When God says, all I'm calling you to do is take the next step of obedience, not 10 steps because you'd blow your mind, just one step. I'm asking you to be obedient today. But we get impatient and go, okay, I've got a plan. Here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to sign your name to it. Good, here we go. 
crash and burn, right? And so then, so then we come back and go, I got this wrong, you know? And if I was God, I'm going, I'm, yeah, told you so. But he is so merciful and patient with us that he helps us to pick up the pieces and start to move forward in his way. You see, the danger of presumption and walking by sight, which is what we see the, the Israelites doing here, and Joshua and the leadership, which is even more disturbing, is the danger of presumption and walking by sight is amplified a hundredfold when we consider the fact that we are in an age-old conflict with supernatural forces that are extremely cunning and many times more powerful, it seems, than us. The enemy wants to take you out. The enemy knows the complete story. In fact, the enemy knows the word better than us and many of us because he'll use it against us. He'll craft it um, to, to cause us to doubt it maybe. But if you're a husband here today, you're a father here today, as the spiritual umbrella of your family, the enemy wants to take you out and that your family would be collateral damage of him taking you out in this journey. That's why we can't approach this in such a way that it's just casual to us. If church is just a thing that you do, your community of faith is a thing that you do, then you're missing the whole point. It's, because, it's, it's like joining the golf club, you know? It's like, this is a thing that I do. I'm like, hit Al, golf, right? So it's like, hey, if it's a thing you do, then you're missing the whole point. That's legalism. You're not going to feel joy to come to church. Listen, I'm telling you, the best day to sleep in is Sunday mornings, right? You found that out during COVID, right? Woo, we could sleep in, stay in our fuzzy house shoes or whatever it is that you wear, and then get us a cup of coffee and then sit and watch church online. Awesome, right? Or take your church to the, to the beach or take your church, whatever it is, wherever you went. But the reality of it is, is, you, is when we are, we are structured and we are, we are designed to meet together, Hey, I understand that technology is great. And thank you for that season that you allowed us to, to be the church and extend that out. And, and we'll see more things that have happened out of that, that the enemy meant for evil to try to dissipate the church. And there's about 20% of the church across America, if you look at the numbers, that haven't even come back yet and may not come back because they've found another way. But what we see is a material world. We see flesh and blood. And then we can see the physical evidence and think of things. Like, I can figure this out on my own. I've got this. This is not too difficult. You know, it's kind of like we, we set God on the sideline until the 911 situation, and then we call him in, right? It's 911, my marriage is falling apart. 911, my kids are going haywire. You know, 911, I've lost my job. Now what do I do, God of provision? You know, so we, we, we set him on the sideline and call him in. That's not what he wants to be in our lives. That's not what he wanted to be in the, the lives of the Israelites. He was their God who brought them out of 400 plus years of slavery. And he didn't do it like in the secret of the night either. I mean, have you ever watched the movie, The Ten Commandments? You know, Cecil B. DeMille's. Okay, that's old school. But man, if you just watch that, you're just like, <laughs> I think we grow up in the church and we see those, those miracles and we kind of become numb to those because, oh yeah, that, yeah. Man, if you were standing there and watched that and you were at the Tennessee River, instead of going across the bridge to go to Dayton and just let the Lord put the waters back, you know, maybe take out a couple of wakeboarders that make big wakes, you know, too. But anyway, and just spread that out, we would be, we would be overwhelmed. And plus, it wasn't just for two people. It was, a, it was over a million people or something. So don't let the word become commonplace to you and not be, not be marveled, by, not marveled by God's work as you read it. You see, so nine, this chapter 9, these first 15 verses, which plays out through the whole chapter, but for the sake of time, this, this, is, this is a tale of deception. Uh, this, is, this reveals how gullible we can be. We can look at them and go, how stupid are they, right? How many times do we see them wander and stumble in the wilderness and go, how stupid are they? Well, let me just tell you, we are they, right? If you're honest with yourself, we are prone to wonder, be gullible, and, and just make stupid decisions. So here we see a couple of different strategies against Joshua and the children of the nation of Israel. The first one is that the kings from all the southern region gathered together against Israel. There's a funny thing about hate. Hate can unite. They may have hated each other as divisions of different areas there, but, but they can come together under the umbrella of hate to take out someone that they felt like was threatening them. We see that all across our nation. We can see that, that different groups that left to themselves don't like each other, but yet if they have a common enemy, that hate 
for that enemy will unite them. And that's kind of what we see here, and it plays out in Joshua 1. It says, and as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan heard of this, what they heard of was not only what happened in Egypt, but what happened in Jericho, right? The walls came down, put the choir out front, right? Um, um, incredible thing. And then Ai, they, they took them down too. They uh, obliterated them. And there was nothing left. I mean, when God told them to go in, and he said, leave it. It was like scorched earth, earth policy. You know why? Because he knew they were prone to follow the gods of those people. Because they were like us. They are humanity. Even with Christ in us, our hearts are prone to wonder towards the things that our flesh desires and towards the things that we buy in that this world sells to us really well in their marketing schemes. That's what the enemy relies on. He loves to sell it to you. You know, that affair that you can have that starts off at a cup, you know, at Starbucks with a coworker sounds really good and it's really, you know, sounds like this is going to end really nicely. And then it blows up your family, costs you your job, costs you the respect of your children, costs you a you know, multitude of relationships. The enemy doesn't tell you that. That first time that you take a dollar uh, from your employer, you know, oh, it's just a little thing. Oh, or it's, it's a Keurig cup. It starts there, right? Lord knows that's more than a dollar, right? And, and then you become the person who embezzles and gets caught and loses your job and brings shame to your family. I mean, the enemy doesn't tell you that on the front end, does he? He just says, eh, take a little bit. It, you deserve it, all right? So this, this attack that we see initially is the classic frontal attack. They will try to defeat Israel on the field of battle in a head-to-head competition. But the Gibeonites said, we're going to try a different route. We're going to take a different tactic here. He says, the word says that they, they acted with cunning. They put some thought to this. And they went and pretended to be ambassadors sent from not the local land, but a distant land. And their strategy was to deceive Israel into making peace with them. Pretty good idea, right? Self-preservation. They probably thought, this is going to end like Jericho or Ai. Then we, we want to try a new approach. And we can't beat them head to head. But the problem is, for the Israelites, because we could say, okay, this makes sense. They're not from around here, as we would say in southeast Tennessee. Israel was forbidden to make peace with any other tribes. And so the Gibeonites deceived Israel with a false appearance. Sound familiar? The enemy is an angel of light who, who would appear one way but yet be another. It's the same thing that he uses on us. Notice the methods of deception by the Gibeonites. They, were, they misrepresented themselves. As they acted out, they were clever. The Bible says they were cunning in the way that they designed their approach to, uh, to deceive the Israelites. They gave false evidence of their deception. The worn-out sacks on the donkeys, the worn-out and torn and mended wineskins, the worn-out and patched sandals, the, the worn-out clothes, the, the dry and crumbly mo, mo, uh, moldy bread. It all looked plausible if you just look at it from a a finite man. You realize we're finite people serving an infinite God, and you'll never outthink that infinite God. You realize that, right? So why would we not tap into the source of an infinite God when we're finite people? We can only see this far, you know, whatever the, the, the distance is, but he knows the beginning, the middle, the end, <laughs> and he's in all of it and has designed it. And, then, and so why would we not tap into it? So if we have relational problems, why wouldn't we go to the one who's the very one who created relationships? If we have struggle in our churches, and why wouldn't we go to the one and ask him to, to bring us together in unity versus fighting over the carpet or fighting over the whatever it is that, that we see churches split over all the time? Because we want to win the battle a lot of times. We want to be right. But sometimes we have to understand, as God teaches us about unity and teaches us about living together, sometimes we have to give up our right to be right for the sake of the unity. Now, I'm not talking about you, you compromise on the things of God that are closed-handed things that God speaks to very clearly. But there's some peripheral things there. It's like, what time do you meet for Sunday school? What time do you do worship service? Man, there's people fighting over that and leaving churches over, over that. That's what the enemy wants us to do is to fight and invite ourselves. That's what he wanted to see happen with the Israelites, to, to start to lean on their own understanding, to start to figure it out themselves. And those false words are what uh, we saw 
that the Gibeonites used too. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. So beyond the deceptive appearance, the Gibeonites just plain, they're just plain lied. And everything else, the appearance was just reinforcement of that lie. If you can look at your life and know of the times that the enemy has worked and you've allowed him to work in your life, he'll tell you the lie. But there's an appearance of, of correctness in there, too. You know, the old saying that, that if you have just uh, 1% of, of uh, non-truth wrapped around w- with truth, you still have an untruth, right? It, it's like you wouldn't drink water with just 1% of poison in it, right? It's that... Just that 1% is all he wants you to do. In, that, in, in actuality, the enemy wants you to get, off, get you off the plumb line of God's word 1%. Because that 1% doesn't seem like a lot when it begins. But five or six months or a couple of years down the road, when you're 10% or 20% off the, the plumb line, that makes, a, that makes a big difference at that point in time. We get that trajectory off the plumb line and we start to become comfortable. This children of Israel... They knew this God. They knew what he could do, but they became comfortable. This was even the new generation that saw the other generation die out in the wilderness because of their non-belief. But these were the people who were making the decisions were leaders who were elevated amongst these people, which is even more disturbing when you have your, your leadership making the decisions that are off the plumb line. That's why it's important that you pray for your pastor. That's why it's important that you give him time to, to reflect and time to, to get away, to just to, to refresh and all that. That's why you could walk shoulder to shoulder with your pastor. He, you know, some churches approach their pastors as their enemies versus their co-laborers. And then some pastors uh, pastor like they're the CEO and not the pastor of the flock. And some, so there's, there's, there's challenges on both sides of leadership. Boy, I tell you what, um, I, I hear a lot of good things. From, from Pastor Al, uh, pastored out here, to Jeff. Uh, I hear a lot of good things about MetaView. I know MetaView is not perfect because it's made up of you, you know, people, right? But man, what a good name that you guys have in our community of serving each other, serving the community. And that comes from your leadership. So pray for your leadership. Lift up Jeff uh, and his family. See, this plot is easily believed when the theatrics are play, played out well, right? When all everybody plays their role right, it just makes sense. But Colossians 2, chapter, uh, or chapter 2, verse 8 says this, See that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. There's a lot of plausible arguments out there that you could buy into, but the Word says don't be ca- taken captive of those things that sound good. But yet at their core, their root, they're not based on God's truth. You see, temptation to sin deceives us with the disguise of appearance also. It tells us that everything's going to be okay. Thomas Brooks said it this way. Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and he pays with loss. He promises life and he pays with death. You see, the Gibeonites explained their story to Joshua and the leaders of Israel. And as they did, they set up, the, they set up the, uh, the agenda and they set up their plan. They just lied. They set it up to where it was sounded really good and really plausible. They did their homework. Well, you can bet the enemy has done his homework. He's an observer of you. He knows you and your, your habits and your tendencies. He's not going to throw a hook out there with a bait that you're not going to be tempted by. He knows all too well what to tempt you with. See, from the very distant country, your servants have come, these uh, Gibeonites had said. Simply put, they're lying, but despite their lies, they, have, they had a proper admiration for uh, and honor, really, for the God of Israel because they heard what he did and they knew what he could do. So they kind of came from a, it was kind of a, a, a weird perspective, is that they were coming through self-preservation, but they were also Lifting up this God and going, we know him. We know who he is. Then we know that he's powerful. Then he could do what he says he can do because we've seen it or heard the news of it. But see, we might think at this point in Israel's history that they know better, right? 
How, many, how much stupid tax do you have to pay, right? And so Joshua 9.14, so the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Everything looked plausible. We, saw, we sent the CSI team in to check it out, and it looks good, and it looks like they're telling the truth. But the God who said to Joshua, everywhere your feet shall touch in this land, I have already given it to you, they didn't consult. Not I have already given it to you and there's not going to be some fights, but I've already given it to you. Let's go and we're going to, to work through some situations. We forgot to call on God because it looked plausible. Have you ever done that in your life? Have you ever tried to figure out a situation, whether it's work or building a house or, or you know, shepherding your family, and you say, okay, I kind of got it figured out, and you never asked the Lord. And then it went south and you're going, who do I blame? You, right? Because we never ask the Lord because we get so comfortable in it. That's why we need to read God's Word. And that's why the God's Word churns our soul and our, our spirit up and reminds us that we're not that awesome, but He is and He's there to help us in the seasons, uh, in the valley and, in the, and, in the, uh, and at the very top of the journey and the mountaintops. You see, it's in the valleys where we learn the most. It's in the valleys where we learn to walk by faith. And on those, on those mountaintop experiences, praise the Lord for those times of peace and, and, and that you can just gather together and go... I kind of breathe in, but that's not where you're designed to live. You're designed to live in the, in the valleys and in the difficult times. There's going to be a time of peace and rest that's all eternal. But as we say in Cleveland, Tennessee, we ain't there yet, right? And so while we're in that journey, we need God's guidance. We need God, God's word to lead us and guide us in with the right steps. The giving out deception was clever. And therefore, it was convincing. But the real problem that we see here is that Joshua and the leaders of Israel never sought God's word for direction. And ironically, this follows a return to the knowledge of Scripture in the previous verses over in uh, chapter 8. So it's after a, and you could probably say this for your life too, typically after a spiritual high, if you will, a spiritual um, journey that just go, man, this was a great time in the Lord. This was, look what God did, is when the enemy will come in and try to take you out because you just get so excited about that and then we kind of kind of you know get so focused on what happened that was a win that we forget that he's still there every day to try to defeat us and that's when we can see throughout the bible or heroes in the bible that they failed after a big win that's when the enemy wants to come in and take you sometimes we start to believe our own press and we go I did that right and then the enemy comes in and, and takes us out Knocks us off at the knees at that point in time. See, we spend too much time sometimes, I spend too much time telling God what we need and not nearly enough time asking him to speak into my life to tell me what to do. Because I can know what to do in God's word. Here's what I hope happens today in our presence is that that gap of knowing what to do and doing is, is narrowed. Because we know a lot of stuff if we've sat in church all of our life. The problem is, is we don't do what we know. We want to have great spiritual experiences, whether it's through revival or VBS or through youth camp or whatever. Those are great things, but the reality of it is you want to see something spiritually break out in this church or break out in Cleveland, Bradley County, Hamilton County, wherever you live, is that why don't we be obedient to what we know God's Word already says and quit looking for the next book from Lifeway to really get us charged up. You know, the next, the next self-help book, for goodness sakes, that's what got us in trouble to begin with is self-help. It's the biggest section in Books A Million, and we would gravitate towards that. And it's like, that, I'm the one who gets me in trouble. I don't need more of me. I need more of God and his direction in my life. But we forget. And so the men took the provisions. And when they took the provisions, this shows us that they trusted their senses instead of the Lord. Look at the bread. Feel and taste how stale it is. Surely they must have come a long way. But they were walking by sight, not consulting God and trusting Him by faith. They did not ask the Lord for counsel. See, how much trouble do we find ourselves in for this very reason? And I know I do because Jeremiah 17, 9 said this. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it but God? And I'm prone to make these decisions that are not lining up with, with, let me just say this too, not beat us up too much. Sometimes we make decisions that really are good intentioned, but they're void of God. I've seen people do things within the context of the church, and it was really well-intentioned, whether it's a mission trip or whether it's building a facility or whatever, really good intention, but they never ask God about it. They just want to sign his name to it and make them feel good about their decision, possibly. 
We've all been there and done that in our lives. But he wants us to be the first source, not Google. He wants us to rely upon him, to press in on him, and to know about who he is. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The fault of deception lies with Israel allowing themselves to be, deep, to be deceived. It's on you, Israel. The God of all creation, the God of all your, your uh, salvation and redemption from e- Egypt and through the wilderness and all, it's on you because you didn't consult him. You can't blame it. You can't blame it on the Gibeonites who are in self-preservation mode. It's on you and your leadership. See, the folly of human nature is that even though we know where the answers lie, God's word, God's spirit speaking to us, we don't turn there for what it will say. So sometimes we, it's, it's kind of like the old saying is we go, well, ignorance is bliss, right? No, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is more stupid tax to pay, right? Mark Twain said this. He said, all you need in this life is ignorance and confidence, and then success is sure, right? If you believe that, you're going to you're gonna go to the ER a lot. Uh, so listen, here's the thing about ignorance, and here's the thing about ignorance and the difference in stupid. Stupid can't be fixed, right? Ignorance can be fixed. Ignorance is not knowing. Stupid is not able to learn, Right? And so we are not stupid people, I pray. We are ignorant of God's word. And it sets in front of us or on the coffee table or it's on our iPod or it's on wherever you keep it. And yet we listen more to the, to the things of this world than we listen to God's word. There are, there are thousands of podcasts out there. Out of those thousands of podcasts, be careful because there are thousands of that podcasts are now like the, the, uh, the TBN channel almost. You have to be careful who you listen to. Just because they are, quote, a man of God preaching at a, quote, church doesn't mean that they are rightly dividing God's word and they're not leading you by plausible arguments into that 1% of, oh, it's not exactly right, but it's over here. And then all of a sudden you find yourself far from God because you've listened to man instead of God. There are people who build ministries around that. Millions of dollars, billions of dollars spent each year. Always pray for your pastors and set under your pastors who rightly divide the word. You need to know the word. I need to know the word so that we know that he's rightly dividing the word. Not just coming to the buffet and going, feed, 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 feed. You need to become self-feeders. That's how God's designed it. He's placed his Holy Spirit in our lives to lead us into that truth. Listen, I'm not just preaching to the choir because there's not one. I'm preaching to the people and preaching to myself. Everything I'm saying to you this morning, I have to say to myself as well too because we can get comfortable in this Christian walk, especially in this bubble that we live in in Southeast Tennessee that's slowly shrinking itself down as we see people moving from all around the nation with different beliefs and ideas and, and not as Christian as we are, right? But maybe there's some folks who just said, well, I'm Christian because I'm born in Cleveland, Bradley County or Hamilton County that don't know him that might need to be saved. And they, they've, just, uh, they've just said, oh, I'm born into it. Uh, probably one of the more difficult people to point to Christ are people who've sat in the church all their life who are not in Christ but who are convinced of it because mama and daddy were or my grandparents were or because my youth pastor says I was. We need to know God's word. It will tell us. It's the, it's the diagnostic um, that we all can tap into and understand. And if you don't understand, there's ways that you can understand how to study his word. There are people in this church that will walk beside you that might be uh, uh, four or five steps ahead of you that can help you and disciple you. That's the way the body of Christ should work. That's the way it should have been working here with the children of, of Israel. So here's the problem with me, and maybe you can say this too is I lie to myself or justify the things that I want to do uh, more than anybody else. The man that I look at in the mirror every morning is the man that lies to me the most. Dr. Paul David Tripp said this this way, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. Whether you realize it or not, you are in an unending conversation with yourself and the things that you say to you about you are formative of the way that you live. That is so true. Now, I know you're having conversations with yourself and probably inside your car in Walmart, right? Because that's not a good place to, you know, that's, you want to test your holiness, go to Walmart, try to find a parking lot, you know, and get out through that. I mean, it's just been a tough year for us, right? Tough season for us. But we're the, pe- we're the people who are talking to ourselves. And we need to be able to know God's word. And, t- and I have to preach the gospel to myself a lot. I have to tell myself that's not what God said. 
That's not what God desires. Well, how do I know that? Well, because I guess no, because I read his word and I know it and I've hidden it, in my, hidden it in my heart and it renews my mind. And so the things of this world as they come in that want to kind of you know, taint it or turn it a little bit, when they come through that grid system, I'm able to say, no, kick it out, not right, not God, what God's word says. I'm able to, to say, no, not the truth, kick it out. And I'm able to say when the enemy says, look at your past, it determines who you are today. No, that's not what God's word says. They say that man from the past is dead. The man who's alive in Christ today is not perfect, but he's been made perfect through Christ Jesus. And then I'm able to walk in such a way that honors God, not in perfection, this side of glory, but with the intention of that, knowing that when I stumble, that I'm quick to repent and not justify when I made a mistake. That's what the Israelites, they kind of justified what they were doing. It's like, well, everything looks right to us, right? We convince ourselves everything's okay. No need to worry about repentance. As long as the sin isn't public or no, not too many people know, don't worry about it. Or we justify, like the, the Israelites, our guilt. If God really loved us and wanted what is best for us, he would let us do whatever we think would make us happy. Boy, if you have people in your life that, that you want to surround you and all they tell you is you just deserve to be happy, run. Because that's not what God's word says. God's word says in spite of the difficulty of this world that he can bring you joy. Happy is subjective, joy is everlasting. And so if you want to, you want to make some bad decisions, get you a bunch of yes men around you. I guarantee you, Pastor Al, leading this church over the years, didn't surround him with guys who would go, yes, Pastor Al, yes, Pastor Al, whatever you say. And I know Jeff the same because we've had those conversations. We want men of God walking shoulder to shoulder who are called to lead our churches that are, hey, they're, they're a mess. They mess up. They're quick to repent. They're quick to, to, to let others into their lives to say, help me walk through this season. Help me make these decisions so that I don't, I don't do what's plausible and what I can put my hands on or what I can see. Help me not to walk by sight. Help me to have godly vision if I'm going to talk about sight. See, we imagine that God is unreasonable in his demands also. Sometimes we just think holiness of God is unattractive. It's not what the world says is good for us. So anyway, with that in mind, real quickly, how can I avoid being deceived and protect myself from making wrong choices? Well, first of all, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Put that on, the t on your T-shirt. Put that on your coffee cup. Not I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. That's great, but this tells you a lot. This is a harder bumper sticker to make, but that's the reality of it. Is it said, don't lean on you because you don't know it. Lean on him. Focus, set your, set your focus on God. See, because ask yourself if you're willing to follow God and his will no matter where it leads. His will for your life is not some spooky thing hidden in some cloud somewhere. His will for your life is to be obedient to his word. And as you're obedient to his word, he will set your path. So quit trying to direct your path on your own and lean into him and let him direct your path. Listen, I get it. Two, five, ten-year plan, I get those things. But don't put all your faith in those, especially if you're making them, right? You can plan out, but ask the Lord to lead and guide you in those plans. And, and be flexible when he says, mm, sounds close, but I got this for you. And be able to do that. I think we do our, our kids an injustice sometimes going, you can be anything you want to be. Just go do it. And let us enable you to do that. No, you can be anything that God's called you to be. Let's seek him and see what that is. If he's calling you to be a doctor, be a doctor. But he's calling you to be a missionary in India, be a missionary in India. You want to honor God, be obedient to what God calls you to do. Sometimes he gives you some flex, right? To be able to walk within a line and go, be a businessman. Maybe be an accountant. Or maybe own your own store. Whatever it is, he'll give you that guidance. Lean not on your own understanding. Focus on God. Matthew 6 tells us this. Be, uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will have enough worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And he's saying to this, to us, walk in obedience today. 
expecting to walk tomorrow. But don't be putting all your eggs in tomorrow's basket because today's the only day that he's guaranteed he's given to you. Honor him today. It's easy. Start today. Don't think about 10 days down the road. Today. Pray. These are obvious things that I'm telling you this morning. These are not big red truck statements, you know, or should be big red truck statements if you've been in, in uh, church any time. Because we need to pray. Ask God to show you his will. It says, do not, in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's what he'll do, is if it's not in his will for your life, he'll help your heart change to go, that's not what I need to be asking for. He'll redirect your paths if you'll let him, but you'll talk to him. So remember that God works through the Bible. He works through, your other, through other relationships around you and through your own mind. And then scripture. <laughs> Study the Bible. This has got to be our weapon of choice <laughs> against the enemy. You see, when Jesus was tempted for the 40 days before his ministry started, what did he quote to the enemy every time he tempted him with something? Quoted scripture to him. That's your, that's your weapons, not your great intellect. But the Word of God. God speaks to us through His Bible. You've got to actively read God's Word. Hey, I appreciate folks that start off every January and go, I'm just going to read God's Word front to back again. And they stop in Leviticus every time, right? Because they get bogged down or whatever. I appreciate the fact that you do that. But I, I, I would say to you, if you're not actively reading God's Word, quit saying I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. Slow roll it through there. Understand that there is so much in, the, in God's Word. Don't make the point to go from Genesis to Revelation. Make the point to hear from God and learn who God is as you walk through these books. That's the, that's the win, not the how many times you can say when you got to heaven I read through the word and still not know who God is or know very little about him. Concentrate on this truth and how it can strengthen you. And then think. <laughs> Novel idea, right? Make a list of pros and cons and, and weigh consequences as you make decisions. Use your mind that God has given you. But you will need, you'll need to consider options, but let him help you with those considerations. Should I marry this man or woman? You need to ask God. Sometimes we don't want to ask God because we're afraid he'll say no. I've had people sit in my office who've been married multiple times, and I'm going, how, how many times? Are you asking the Lord? Well, my friend said that this person would make me happy. Okay, well, we're five times into this. Do you think your chooser might be broke? <laughs> because you're not hearing God speak to you. You're, getting, you're going towards what you want or what your friends say you need versus what God's Word says. I'm telling you, this is easy to say on Sunday morning, hard to live out, but it's, it's how, what we've been designed to do. And so as we start to close here, we think of some other things that we need wisdom. We need to seek godly counsel. We need to have friends who speak into our life that know God's word and know us and are able to call us out when we are off the plumb line. We need that. Now, this circle can't be that big because that gets complicated. But that circle needs to be like this. Acquaintances that you can pick up the phone in a 911 situation and they're either on their knees or in your presence very soon to help you in those situations. You need to build those relationships. If the point is to make all of your Facebook friends those close friends like that, and you really know that all your Facebook friends aren't that close, right? You got a thousand or whatever, that's not the truth, right? They're voyeurs into your life, is what they are generally. But you need that circle of friends that can speak to you. And then, all, above all things, Faith and trust for God for provision. To be obedient to what you know about him. James uh, 1, 6-8 says this. But when we ask, we, we must believe and not doubt because, we, uh, because we, uh, the, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the sea. The man, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all that he does. If we're not convinced that God's word is the truth, we're going to be tossed to and fro by plausible arguments or pretty schemes that we think, well, this will help me for this season of my life. You see, the, here's the reality of why every decision is important. is because what happened with Joshua and the Israelites, that decision was irreversible. They made a covenant with those people. And those people became their servants or their slaves. And they brought water and wood to the altar for the rest of that generation's life. And there were difficulties in those journey. You can go back and read. But there were ramifications for that. If you look at David, the decisions that he made, 
while he was forgiven and God was, he was still God's man, but there were ramifications from his bad decisions. The baby with Bathsheba died. The turmoil in his family never left. So that's why important. When you're making decisions for your life, you need to consult God. So Paul tells us this. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over, the pre- over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up on, upon you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the enemy on that evil day. And having done all, then stand firm. Do you remember what he said to Joshua in the beginning of this book? Be strong, be courageous. He didn't say do that on your own strength, Joshua. He was saying to Joshua, be strong, be courageous, because I will go before you. I will be with you. And I will make sure that your success is just that. That's what we need to understand today, is that if we are going to be successful in this Christian walk and this that God's called us to be, to be in, that we need to see him as our plumb line. We need to see his word as our plumb line. And as the Israelites were with Joshua and their leadership, easily deceived, we are prone to be those people. And that how we are, can guard against that and guard our hearts against that is to know his word. How can you call on the God of this Bible if you don't know him other than him just being a historical figure? He has given you his word. He has placed his spirit within you to be able to lead you into all truth. And Meadowview Baptist Church, I pray that as you guys walk together in this life, that you will encourage each other through this word, that you will cry with each other in the difficult times and, uh, and use this word to comfort each other. You have a great legacy And as we wait on the Lord's return, you have a great responsibility to go out into this lost and dying world to share the hope of the gospel. Be found faithful in all these things for God's glory and for your joy as you walk in obedience to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning, Father. I pray that it has fallen on fertile soil, Father. I know for me, it just always uh, reminds me of how, how I'm prone to, to lean into my own understanding, how I'm prone to, to believe my own ideas are better than your ideas and your, that my ways are better than your ways. But God, help us where we do that to repent quickly and turn to you. And Father, thank you that your word is a, like, it's a salve to our souls. It's redemption to our souls as well. And so this morning, Father, I pray for, for our fathers that are present this morning. As Jonathan said early, what a blessing it is for you to give us earthly fathers. We pray that you would empower them to lead their families well and that they would, they would be quick to hit their knees as they pray about the things that are set before them in their families and in the job and the world around them. And Father, that they would be quick to point their children and their spouses towards Christ. And for those who may be sitting here this morning who may be far from you, God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit today would be their day of salvation, that they would lay down their own personal agendas and their own personal ideas, and they would place all their trust in you. Whatever that looks like, there are people here at this church that can explain that to them and help them on their journey. We pray that you would do that today, God, for your glory and for our joy as we watch you work in our lives and the lives of others. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com, or subscribe to hear more sermons like this, or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.